Um, I want to get real quick. A couple weeks ago, Zoom people couldn't couldn't hear. If you could give me just like somebody you know from the Zoom chat, just shoot in and make sure that you can hear me well. We we tried to check on this before service, but anybody from the Zoom chat, I'll wait. Somebody else gave a thumbs up. Okay, I'm going to try to talk loud into the mic. If you have to turn me down, then you have to turn me down. Um, if we've got one thumbs up, we've got, we got a couple thumbs up, okay. We'll go with it. Everybody else, you just turn up your volume, volume really loud. Um, we are appreciative for those that are joining on Zoom. Know that COVID's a little heightened right now. Just to let you know, we are asking that people wear masks come in and then while we're having conversation, you're free to, you know, you do whatever you want. You're free when you're sitting down to not wear a mask. But when we, when we leave, we're trying to be thoughtful. And, um, so anyway, um, so personal admission this morning, before I start my sermon, one of the things that I've always tried to, uh, do whenever I preach is that there are seasons and there are that where God uses your strength as an example for others of what it looks like to follow Jesus. And sometimes when you're teaching, you teach out of those strengths. You teach out of like, you know, what God's doing well in your life, the, the fruit that's coming out of your life. And I always had made, for some reason, just had this thinking um, where I wanted to let you know if I'm going to preach a message about something that I don't feel like I'm doing that well, <laughs> then I wanted to give you a heads up. And so I'm giving you this, this, this heads up that I'm preaching a little bit to myself this morning. Um, I, I, last night I was uh, at home and I had this just like overwhelming wave of stress hit me. And I don't really get stressed that often. I'm a pretty, pretty even keel person. And... Um, you know, I, but I just, I got really stressed and I was sharing this with Andrea and what I realized as I sat there moping, how many of you ever act pathetic? I was acting pathetic. I'm just going to be honest. Even at one point I was sitting there laying on the couch, not doing much to help last night while all the kids were getting put in bed. And I was like, man, you really are pathetic. <laughs> um, just being honest. And so I'm just doing some like reflection, like why am I, why am I overwhelmingly stressed? And I realized that I realized that I had been putting an incredible amount of thought and worry into business that we're starting. And to the point where like I'm waking up and sometimes, sometimes the first thought on my mind is God, you know, what are you doing today? And, but I've been waking up with the first thought on my mind is on my business. The last thought on my mind when I go to sleep is on my business. And when I get like that, I get too in control and, you know, I get stressed and worried. And so I just was having that personal reflection and, and how to like keep our eyes on Jesus in the process of our life. So I am going to talk about our focus this morning. Um, I want to ask a question, and for me, a lot of my sermons 
they originate not out of assumptions or conclusions, but out of questions. Sometimes I write sermons just to try to figure out if I can answer a question. But, but um, sometimes questions are, are linger with us longer. And so my question for this morning, it's kind of a two-part question, is how can I remain in the rest of God? How many of you want to remain in the rest of God? How can I remain in the rest of God while also living in the zeal of God? How many of you have, have struggled with this? I feel like I have really struggled. And the thing about this is somehow when I, if I lose one of them, I lose both of them. <laughs> I don't know how that, it's just kind of the way it works. If I, if I lose the zeal of God, I eventually lose the rest of God and, and vice versa. And, but we need to know that one of God's significant promises, and if you grow up in a charismatic Pentecostal community, like everything is karate chopping the devil. And so like we didn't talk a lot about the rest of God, but one of God's most significant promises is that his people would live um, in his rest, that we would enter his rest. And this promise is supposed to be fulfilled, not just when we go on to be with Jesus in glory, but in this life. And so rest, we talk a lot about fullness, rest in your heart is evidence that God's fullness is at work in you. When we, when we have a rested soul, there's, it is an indicator, I'm not saying it's the only, but it is, it is a deep indicator that we are walking in alignment with what He has called us to walk in. When we live in rest. You start getting worried and frantic like something normally off. Um, and, and I understand different situations. but So David, however, makes this statement in the midst of a prayer that he is praying in Psalm. These Psalms are prayers or songs. And he makes this statement in the midst of one that is also supposed to reflect our temperament. He says in Psalm 69 verse 9, that zeal for your house would consume me. Zeal for your house would consume me. You see, when Jesus enters the temple in John 2 at Passover, how many of you know the story when he comes to drive out the money changers? He, he makes his own whip and he starts basically yelling at these people, turning tables, and he says that you've made, you've made my house a den of thieves, or you've made my house a place where just the market is happening. And what, what was happening is that the kinds of things that they sell were items that were meant to be used for sacrifice in worship. And so what people were literally doing is that they were upcharging or they were um, being exploitive in the way that people could purchase items for them to participate in worship and in prayer. And, and Jesus makes this statement, which I want us to repeat this morning, he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. Let's just say that together. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Okay, so Jesus makes this statement. It's recorded in other Gospels. It's a really significant statement. Exactly when he makes this statement, the disciples remembered the verse that David says. In John 2.17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. And so, 
David writes this prayer a long time ago. Jesus is walking in and he is like, I am serious about this place being a place of worship and a place of prayer for people to come to me. And as soon as they see the passion and the zeal, the disciples remember the truth reflected in the psalm. So I want to pause for a moment and talk about Jewish prayer, because I don't know if this is, comes as a surprise to you, but Jesus was not an American. <laughs> he was a Hebrew. Um, so, shocker. Um, and he grew up as a Jew. He would have lived as a Hebrew. And the prayer of the Jewish people, when we talk about this being a house of prayer, the prayer of Hebrew people was very rhythmed and, and liturgical. I know us charismatics would love for us, it to be all spontaneous, but it happened not to be all spontaneous. And they would pray at specific hours of the day. Um, Josephus, who's one of the great historians of that time, actually recorded, um, you know, extra biblically, he recorded the, the sort of patterns of the way that, that Jews would pray. And by all historical accounts, they prayed for sure at 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., and by some historical accounts, they also prayed at an evening time. And if you can imagine the setting in, in the near, near East, kind of Middle East, like the, the, uh, the religious leaders would actually sing the Psalms as they were offering daily sacrifices. They would sing the Psalms. And if you were, if you were a Jewish boy, or, or any, if you grew up Jewish, you would have memorized all the Psalms by heart. Not like this, not exception, like most, most any, unless you grew up good Jewish boy, you would have memorized all the Psalms. And the purpose of memorizing these Psalms was a couple reasons. First of all, the Psalms reflect a very wide range of depictions of who God is. Secondly, they reflect a wide range of expressions of what it's like to be human. Like when David is like, you know, oh God, my life is so hard. Just throw a rock on me and kill me. Like, how many, like, David's struggles were more real than mine because somebody was literally trying to kill him. But David does sometimes come off as melodramatic. Um, and so when you, when you would have learned these Psalms, you would have learned a range of language that would allow you to pray and to worship God for who He is and to express what it means to be human in the midst of suffering. Does this make sense? There's, a, there's another reason, though, that they would have learned these psalms, and it's that they prayed as a community. So at the same hours that they would have all begun to pray psalms that would have that would have aligned similar, like they would have been praying similar things together, the, the uh, priests would also be offering sacrifices. And so you need to understand that when Jesus says that my house will be called a house of prayer, He was not speaking about this sort of individualistic style of prayer that sometimes we've come to understand today. He's talking about a people that pray together. He's talking about a people that pray through things together, that pray through some of the same scriptures together, that pray for the same times. How many of you remember when, Dan when Israel's in captivity, it says that Daniel was praying what? Morning, noon, and night. And that was the way that they were able, you know, the other sorcerers were able to tell the king 
that, hey, he's defying you because he was still following the rhythm of the way they prayed. You see this in the Psalms. And so this is the way they prayed. They prayed as a community. Um, and when we, when we pray through the Psalms, we, we, we're praying together. We're praying with all of God's people. What happens when, we, when the community of God ceases to be a house of prayer because this is what Jesus says when he drives out all of the, the stuff that's not of God. He says, my house will be called a house of prayer. And when, we, when the community of God ceases to be a house of prayer, we lose sight of what he is doing. Like part of the reason, I want to pause and say this, part of the reason that we pray in rhythm as a community is because we believe this is actually the way that Jesus would have prayed. And we believe that we are reminded of the heart of God when we pray through the scriptures together. We, were, we are also reminded of the pains of community around us. And we become connected to God and each other when we pray in community, not just praying in isolation. And so my biggest prayer right now is, God, I want to see rightly. How many of you have that like prayer like that? God, I want to see rightly. I want to have your rest. I want to have your zeal. And I believe that Jesus was born into a tribe of people, into a nation of people, that the way that they grounded themselves into the truth of who God was, was not just by praying as individuals, but by praying as a community. Amen? And the, and the scriptures, praying the scriptures helps us see rightly. Um, and it reminds us, it, it brings us, it's why we pray the Psalms, it brings us back to the truths about who God is. Okay, I have, I, I regularly sprinkle in references from C.S. Lewis, because why not? Um, I read, I've read my kids, um, or I'm reading all my kids, the Chronicles of Narnia, and Eden's going to be annoyed that I'm going to bring her name up, but... I'm right now reading to her, reading the silver chair with her. And I want to tell you a little bit about the silver chair. These, these are great books to read. Even if you're, even if you're not a kid, I would, I would read these books every couple of years just because they're amazing books. So if you haven't read them, I, I suggest them. So silver chair is a book about a boy and a girl who get brought into this land of Narnia and they eventually, they meet this man, or this lion named Aslan. And if you don't know, C.S. Lewis was a Christian. Aslan is a metaphorical picture of, of Jesus. Just, you know, I'm sure everybody knows that. But, and eventually, Aslan sends them on a mission, and they're supposed to save this lost prince. And when they first come into the world... They go to this place that's a mountain that's floating high in the heavens. And it's this there's a beautiful garden in it. And, and uh, they have this interaction with Aslan. And what Aslan does is he sends the boy off. His name is Eustace. He sends him off to go ahead and go off to some mission. And the girl, Jill, he, he wants to speak with her alone. And when she first approaches him, she doesn't know if she's supposed to love him or be afraid of him because he's like both terrifying and incredibly loving. And so she, you know, she ends up approaching the lion 
And he gives her, he gives her four commandments that are to be the things that she is supposed to remember. I'm going to tell them to you really quickly. I'm not going to ruin the book, but just, just, just so you can, she tells him, you're, she tells Jill that you're going to meet a friend. The friend's going to help you. You're, you're going to travel to the north to the giant city. You're going to find a stone with writing on it. You're supposed to follow it. And the last thing is, you're going to meet Prince. You will, when you meet Prince Rillian, he will be the first person who asks you to do something in my name. Okay. Just a little tease. You should go read the book. But I want to read to you something that he says because he's really clear with her to have her to remember the commandments, to remember them, and to keep them on her mind, to keep them fresh. And so this is the last thing that Aslan tells her before she is to go off of the high mountain and down into the mission that she's on. He says, Stand still. In a moment, I will blow. But first, remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake up in the morning and when you lie down at night. And when you wake in the middle of the night, Whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn them from your mind, from your mind from the signs. And secondly, I will give you a warning. Here on the mountain, I have spoken to you clearly. I will not often do so in Narnia. Here on the mountain, the air is clear and your mind is clear. As you drop into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take care that it does not confuse your mind. And the signs which you have learned here will not look at all like you expect them to look when you meet them there. That is why it is so important to know them by heart and to pay no attention to appearances. Remember the signs. Believe the signs. Nothing else matters. So that's what he tells Jill. And I... I believe often that we allow ourselves to get distracted by the fundamental things that God has called us to remember. In Matthew 6.22, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What we fix our mind on, what we fix our eyes on, will determine um, the way that we manifest in our life. And so I want to take you to a story in Luke 23 of Joseph of Arimathea. And this is right after when Jesus died on the cross and his body is being taken away. It says in Luke 23, 50 through 54, it says, Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from a Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb and cut in the rock, one in which no one had ever been laid. It was preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. I, so I read this scripture recently, and I saw the story of Joseph of Arimathea. And something jumped out at me that I underlined in the Scripture. It says about Joseph, it says, 
he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. He himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. So his, his eyes remained full of light. He never lost sight of the promise. Even, even at the worst hour, Joseph, he said he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And so I want you to see what happens when our eyes stay fixed on God's promises. The first thing is, is that Joseph was able to remain open to what God was doing in the moment. Like, Jesus was a new thing. Imagine that you're a Jew in that time, and you've had all these thousands of years of history teaching you, this is the way you're to worship God. This is the way you're to do things. And this guy breaks onto the scene and starts teaching in a whole new way. Like, it would be hard for you to, like, to just to make that transition. But because Joseph of Arimathea had, he was himself awaiting for the kingdom of God, he was able to see the signs of the times. He was able to see clearly the newness of what God was doing in Jesus. It's just like Deuteronomy 6, which is like a direct reference to this book. Um, it's the, the Jews are supposed to bind the word of God on their mind and on their heart and in their mouths. And they're supposed to, when they wake, they're supposed to speak it. They're supposed to speak it to their family. They're supposed to speak it when they go to sleep. To talk about it often. Because when we, when we keep the promises of God deep in our heart, then it allows us to see where He's at work when He's working. Amen? And what happens for me is if I lose sight of the big promises of God, the big hope of God, I miss what He's doing in my life in the moment. Because the signs have to be fresh in my soul, in my spirit. In order for me to see where He's at work, I have to have a picture in my mind of what He's doing regularly. The second thing that happened because He kept His mind on what God was doing was that He was able to fulfill the story that God had for him. How many of you would have liked to have done something that was, that was significant enough that you got put into the Bible? <laughs> like, like, for all time, this man's story is put into the Word. And it wasn't some big profound thing he did. It wasn't some message he preached. It's that he had enough faith and hope in God to believe to the very end. And because of that, he was entrusted with the right to carry the body of Jesus. To carry the body of Jesus. To bring it to the tomb. He, he, had, this, he had this privilege to fit this place in the story where, where as Jesus, where as all others, like the disciples and all these people had left, they had abandoned Jesus. And here's Joseph getting to care for the dead body of Jesus. And so he finds his place in God's story. Um, I think one of the things that we have made, and I've talked about this a lot, one of the things we've made too much focus of in the church world is about manifesting some specific destiny over your life. I'm going to tell you the number one way to get disillusioned and lost is to, is to get hyper-focused on your specific calling. 
if you get hyper focused on what you are specifically to do, like and how you're, you know, the business you're going to go th- do, the the message you're going to preach, how you're going to change people's lives. If you get hyper focused on your individual calling, that is the easiest way to get disillusioned and lost. When we carry in our heart the promises of God, it allows us to naturally find ourselves in His story. When, when, when Zane, when we were reading that, um, that chapter today from James, I felt like that Scripture was like going through me like electricity. I don't know about y'all, but that was, Scripture was very powerful. And one of the things that, you, that Zane was talking about is how we might act in a selfless way in one moment, but we can be selfish in our thoughts. And I could just be honest with you, this week, my thoughts have been completely on what am I doing? What am I building? Where's my head? You know, what kind of thing am I going to go figure out? And I'll tell you what, one week of that, you know, and I'm like, I'm outside of God's rest. Like, not only did it not produce anything positive for, you know, it's like it produced this inner worry and anxiety. And I just want to say this, like, I just, I say that, I think I've said this a hundred times, but as a pastor, the biggest way that I've seen people get off is by hyper-focusing on the specific dream or destiny or thing that God has for them. If we can get in our minds to pray and to repeat and carry in our heart the promises of God, we will find ourselves in God's story. You won't even have to try. You won't have to wake up and figure out where you fit in. You will find yourself in God's story. I mean, and that's what the gospel invites us to do: is to fix our eyes on the hope that's set before us. Colossians three, one through three says it like this: It says, "Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God." Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So, when, when, we're, when Paul writes this, he's not talking about just, you know, setting your mind on one day I'm going to go be with Jesus. I mean, remember that old I'm a, I'll fly away song? Like, it's not talking about I'll fly away. It's talking about having a heavenly perspective in the world that we're living in right now. Like, we, we are called to live in rest as Hebrews has promised us, but we are also awaiting the full manifestation of the kingdom of God in our world. Like, we are waiting for God to break through, to heal injustices, to heal broken hearts, to heal diseases, to restore relationships. Like, we aren't just at rest. We should be crying out for persistently waiting for the kingdom of God to come. And the the very thing that allowed Joseph to find himself in God's story was that his heart was waiting for the kingdom of God. And so I just, I feel like that God wants our hearts to wake up to an awaiting for His kingdom. Like, how many of you thankful for what He's done? 
I'm thankful for what He's done, but I am awaiting for Him to do greater things. I'm awaiting for Him to come and heal cancer. I'm awaiting for Him to come and bring salvation to people who are lost. I'm, I am like praying. I want to carry those things in my heart. Like, I don't want to just live in the rest of God. I want to live in the zeal of God. Alright. One more, one more reference in the story. I used these little uh, sweet and low packets to be my be my bookmarks. So, maybe this, this part will resonate. Um, as they're going along their journey, they get stuck in a really difficult time where nothing is, nothing is kind of going well. They get stuck in a snowstorm. And it, life just stinks right then. And they start being pathetic like I have been this week. And as they're on their journey... They, um, they are going to the giant city of the north that Aslan told them to go to. And they were very tired and wanting to, to get some rest. And so I want to read to you what happens here as they're going and they're trying to find this place called Harfang. It says, they could not think at that point, about anything but beds and baths and hot meals, and how lovely it would be to now be indoors. They never talked about Aslan, or even about the prince now, and Jill gave up most of her habit of repeating the signs over to herself every night and morning. So, they're going on this journey, place where they were sent, because the signs told them to go there, and as they were going there, they were so excited about just getting a bed and a hot meal that they forgot why they were going. They forgot why they were going in the first place. They stopped repeating what they were given. And what happens is, is when we get tired, we lose our zeal, we often choose relaxation over rest. And relaxation and rest are very different things. Like, like when I relax, I kind of check out. But when I'm resting in God, I'm checking in with Him. And I, th- I think often when we get, when we have things that cause us to suffer, that come against us in the journey, we start forgetting why we're even on this journey. And then we just start looking for a little respite rather than focusing on the promises that God has. How many of you ever chose relaxation over rest? I think when we pray, as Jesus called us to be the house of prayer, what what zeal for His house looked like was Him calling it to be a house of prayer. And I think when we pray, that is what carries in us a fixed eye on the promises of God. And so what does it look like, this is a question I'm asking, what does it look like to pray in a way that keeps us in rest and in zeal? Like first of all, we have to pray as a community. 
We have to pray as a community. The reason why we do the Zoom prayer, the reason why we do that is because God has not called us to pray as individuals. He's called us to pray as a community. You cannot survive on your faith alone. You, you live on the faith of collective. I think we underestimate the power of faith with people and overestimate the power of the faith I can do on my own. Like, God works with people. He works with, not just with persons, He works with groups of people. We have to pray together. And there's two, in my opinion, there's two types of prayer that keep us grounded in the promises of God. The first one is that we have an expression in faith of our desires. Like, how many of you want God to heal a family member? You have a family member you're praying for. How many of you have like something in your life you want God to answer for? Like, I think we should be as a community praying for the desires that we have and, and praying for them in faith. But there's a second part of prayer that we don't often think about, and it's the prayer of formation. When we pray the Scriptures, when we pray the Psalms, when we pray the things that are true about God, that's like, that's like the girl in the story. We're reminding ourselves of the signs and the promises of what God has given us. Like we are reminding ourselves, like we're bringing ourselves back to that place where God spoke clearly. And as a, as a community, if we want to live in the rest of God and live in the zeal of God, we will have to be those who express both our desires, which I'm happy to express, but also we pray in a way that forms us on the truth of God. We cannot lose sight of what He's doing. Prayer is that which anchors us to the presence of God and keeps our eyes fixed on Him. Matthew 6.22 says that, says that when your eye is full of light, your whole body is full of light. When we pray, it's the thing that fixes our eyes on Jesus. There's, there's nothing else that we can do that's quite like prayer, that's quite like praying with others to fix your eyes on Jesus. As soon as I, I hear in a group of people praying that somebody else is praying for their family friend that's dying of cancer, like it, it sobers me. As soon as I hear somebody pray the Psalm 23 and they pray that truth again, like it reminds me. Like being a praying people is the thing that keeps our eyes fixed on Him. I love the story of Joseph of Arimathea because everyone had given up and his hope outweighed his willingness to give in. Because he had remained fixed on what God was doing. So Jesus says about his house that his house will be a house of prayer. Now I want, I want to kind of frame this and we're going to finish by praying. Like, you are not exclusively the house of God. I think, I think we overemphasize I am the temple. I, we are the house of God. Not this building. 
Not this, you know, this structure, but we as a people. His people is the place where His glory dwells. Not just me as an individual. I just have one tiny grain of sand of the image of who He is. But we as a people carry the glory and the image of God. Like we are His house. So when Jesus says, my house will be called a house of prayer, what He's saying is, we are a house of prayer. Like we are a house of prayer. It means that our foundation, our walls, our windows, our doors, our chimney, everything is built and framed out of praying together. Out of being a people who keep our eyes fixed on Him. That doesn't mean that we have to have a 24-7 prayer set. You know, like, I love the fact that there are houses of prayer that pray 24-7, but that doesn't, it just means that we need to be a people that are praying together. Because how many of you have just do it perfect all the time? Tell me if you do. I would love, I need the reminders. Like, I got to the end of this week and I was like, oh my gosh, like my eyes have not been on Jesus at all this week. Like, I'm just being honest. Like, we need the reminders of each other praying together and living in community together. We need times of reminders, times of repenting, times of turning our face towards Him. Like, like we have to do this together. And so I want to end by uh, praying that God would, it will enable us to live this out together. So I want to have you stand with me. And I think what I want to pray, what I want to have ask you to pray with me this morning is that God would, that He would deepen our prayer as a community together. That He would deepen the practice of our prayers as a community together. I don't, I'm not praying for some magic fix in this moment. What I'm praying is that He would deepen the rhythm of us praying together as a community. And so I just want to ask you to pray with me like let's 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 have a shared faith collective for a moment and pray together. And so, God, I just pray, um, and you can even you know lift your voices, pray with me. I pray that you would empower us and enable us to be those who pray together, to be those who share our um, sufferings together, share our desires together. God, that we would remind each other of the signs and the promises and the hopes of God. I pray that you would deepen the rhythm of our community praying together. That you would deepen the expression of our community praying together. I pray that you would unify this community and you would do it through prayer. I pray that you would unify this community and you would do it through prayer. Lord, I pray that you would deepen the bonds that we have are that are bonds of the Spirit and not just bonds of the flesh, God. I pray that you would deepen the bonds that we have, Lord. And God, I just I ask you to help us to walk in a fuller and a deeper expression of prayer that you would have us to realize that we aren't as individuals capable of living this Christian life, but we are as a community in you capable of doing it, God. God, I pray that you would re remind us of our dependence upon each other, that you would remind us of our need for each other, that you would help us um, 
just to walk with you, God. And God, we thank you that even in this time, those last two years has been um, difficult for many. God, we thank you that you have given us such a, a, a precious net of people to depend on. And God, I, I just pray that you would just deepen our gratitude. Deepen our gratitude for what we've been given in you, God. Just deepen our thankfulness, Lord. Let's be more aware of the grace and mercy that you've given us, God. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Um, we're going to come and grab the elements. If you could, just, um, it, you know, we're not requiring this, but we're asking if, you know, if you come with the mask to the table, and then we will come back and seat it and take together.